Let's pray. Lord, your word is incredible. It's been breathed out by God himself. And as we unpack this lament, this psalm of sorrow today, this psalm that Rabbi has just sung, we pray that you would give us tender hearts. You would make our hearts tender, God, and you would give us ears to hear, uh, both for our own lives, Lord, but also for the lives of people around us that need comfort. Open our eyes and change us by your spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, it's good to be back. It's always nice to get away for a, a couple of weeks in the summer. We um, traveled a little and been hanging out with our kids, kind of normal uh, summer stuff. It's always interesting to me in the summer, though. Um, usually once a week or once every couple of weeks, somebody will uh, come up and say, Rob, you still barefoot water ski? And they're really kind of being polite because what they're really asking is, do you do that crazy stuff at your age still? You know, as old as you are? And, and, and my answer is yes, I'm still doing it, been doing it this summer, learning actually, the older I get, I'm doing, um, learning to do new tricks all the time and I'm really excited about that. You see, I don't want to be bound by my age. I don't want to be bound by my circumstances. I do not want to be bound by sin. I want to live in light of the resurrection. So you walk on water, right? I mean, that's kind of what we do. If you're a little crazy in a court low or something like that, I guess you could say. Now, what I want to do this morning is, in light of what we have just heard Robbie sing, I want to get serious. Because we're going to look at a serious psalm, Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is a lament. It's an expression of sorrow. It's an expression of grief. Actually, it's a, it's a psalm that's about trouble. It's a psalm that's about when life doesn't work out, when the lights go out. Now, next week, I'm going to conclude this series on our psalms by looking at Psalm 23, uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and in that prayer, there's this famous line, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? We're familiar with that. Well, Psalm 88 is a description of what it's like to walk in the valley of the shadow of death. Here we get a picture of that valley and what walking through it looks like. And what's so very interesting about this psalm is unlike a lot of other psalms, and the psalms have a lot to say about suffering or, or trouble or, or loss, this psalm does not end on a positive note. It doesn't end upbeat. There is not this great statement of confidence in God at the end of this psalm. Actually, if you look at the last line of Psalm 88, the psalmist says, Heman says, death is my closest friend. Not close friend, not a um, closer friend, but my closest friends. And it's as if he is saying, God, not you, but darkness is my constant companion. 
Now, before we read the psalm and before we get into it, we've got to raise an obvious question. The question, why in the world is a psalm like this in the Bible? What is God up to? Why has God included this in his canon, in God's word? And the answer is God has given us Psalm 88. Because God doesn't want you or your friends or family members, for that matter, to be caught off guard by trouble. To be surprised. And this is especially important for us, I think, in ways we don't even really understand in our Western cultures, our Western societies. Because of all the prosperity around us, we almost unconsciously become allergic to adversity. I mean, think of the advertisements we're constantly bombarded with. Uh, This summer when we were out west, I was reading USA Today, the newspaper USA Today, and I was stunned reading an article on the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Last year, 50 people jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, plunging to their death. Since the bridge has been built in 1937, it's estimated that at least 1,200 people have jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Suicide. Now think about that. The Golden Gate Bridge is, one of, uh, is a marvelous feat of engineering. Uh, the Golden Gate Bridge is in San Francisco, one of the most beautiful, one of the most prosperous cities in the United States, the most prosperous country in all of history. Yet every week last year, somebody jumped off. God has given us Psalm 88. Because he knows we live in a sinful, fallen world. He knows we'll go through deep, dark periods. He knows that's a part of life. And he has given this to us so we can walk through the darkness and so we can help others navigate deep waters. So let's begin reading verse 1, Psalm 88. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble. And my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Now I want you to notice in the Uh, next couple of verses, the psalmist, uh, we would say Calvinism comes through. And what I mean by that, his sense of the sovereignty of God, even in the midst of his suffering, comes through. Notice how he addresses God. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. In other words, this is your plan. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? No, 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 no. But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me? Hide your face from me. 
From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your tears and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your tears have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Now you feeling good? Encouraged? Don't you love uh, how happy, clappy God's word is, man? A professor pointed out about half the students that um, he teaches who read this psalm or study this psalm find it really discouraging. They look at it and say, whoa, man, is this guy dysfunctional. Uh, uh, They find it laced with unbelief and it makes them uncomfortable. The other half, the professor said, uh, of his students find the psalm really encouraging. Man, they identify with the psalmist's pain, Heman's pain. They appreciate his honesty. Now, regardless of where you are, whether you find this discouraging or encouraging, what I want to do is draw out four things this psalm teaches us about trouble and then three things it teaches us about how we should respond to times of trouble. So number one, the first thing I want you to know, and it's right here on the surface, is this Psalm teaches us, Psalm 88 teaches us life can be overwhelming. I mean, really overwhelming, right? Trouble, pain, extraordinary. Even for good, godly people. Note verse three, my soul is what? It is full. It is overflowing with trouble. Yet this guy was a good guy. This guy was a believer. You would like this guy. In verse 1, he says he knows it's God who saves him, God who delivers him. Then in verses 1 and 2, and again in verse 9, later in verse 12, he talks about this tenacious commitment to prayer. This was a guy that prayed. This was a guy that loved God. You see, sometimes you can do everything right. Sometimes you can be right. Sometimes you can live right and be plunged into darkness. The Bible is full of this. Job, Joseph, Jeremiah, Ruth, Esther, the pressure she faced. All godly people hammered. And then there is no greater example than Jesus Now, it's not this way all the time, though, okay? It's not this way all the time. As a matter of fact, hold your place. Go back to Psalm 30. Look at verse 2 in Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is a psalm of David. Same kind of experience of suffering, but we have um, a very different outcome here. Look at verse 2. Oh, Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. Supernatural healing. Divine intervention. I called, I prayed, and God, you healed. Often that's what God does. Then if you read verse 3, Oh Lord, you brought me up from the grave. I was close to death. In Psalm 88, the guy's close to death. He's convinced he's dying. But here David says, Man, you spared me. And he goes on and says, Your anger lasts only for a moment. Your favor lasts for a lifetime. That's Psalm 30. Now I say this because when we come to Psalm 88, I want you to understand it's not this way all the time. In the Bible, it's not even this way most of the time. But sometimes, even for the best, the most godly among us, life can be terrible. Now I'm going to go on. Point number two. The next couple of points I'm stealing from a a couple of others. Point number two. Trouble can last a long, long time. 
And some of you are thinking, thanks, Rob. I was talking to a guy about this the other day, and he said, what are you going to talk about? I'm just, well, I, and I said, you know, I'm just going to talk about trouble can last for a long time. And he kind of looked at me and said, thanks. What else do you want to talk about? But that's this psalm. Now, we don't know Heman's specific situation other than he had lost friends. It seems like his family had abandoned him and he either was about to die serious illness or felt like he was in a death-like situation. And actually not knowing the specifics is, is good because then more of us coming from a, a variety of different situations can identify with what this guy's going through. But we don't know exactly his situation, but we do know it went on for a long time. Look at verse 15. From my youth, I have been afflicted, close to death. He uses the word despair. Now we come to the New Testament, a familiar verse, James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. What we discover here in Psalm 88 is the testing of that faith James talks about can go on for a long time. Even when you're doing everything right. Now you say, hey, wait a minute, Rob, well, think about the New Testament. Let's back up here. I mean, Paul uh, tells us uh, God works all things together for good, right? He works all things together for good. He doesn't say everything is going to be good. He doesn't even say how quickly he's going to work all things together. And he never tells us that we will always know God's purposes in working things together for good. You can do right, you can be right, you can live right, and things can stay wrong for a long, long time. That's the hard, that's the tough message of this psalm. That's how millions of people all around the planet are living right now. I mean, think of the people in the mountains in Iraq. Or I think of a, a, a guy, a Christian leader I talked to on the phone this summer who is a Syrian, lives in Syria. We were in Israel, and I was on the phone long distance talking to him. Can you imagine what it'd be like to live as a Christian in Syria? We're Africa right now. Do you see? Do you see why this can possibly, just possibly, just might be helpful? Because it clarifies expectations. The reason this is helpful is it clarifies expectations. And our expectations so often determine how we respond to things. I, I became aware of this a couple of years ago in one little area of my life relative to movies. You know, I mentioned to somebody, I'm thinking about seeing a movie, and somebody would say to you, hey, Rob, oh, you got to go see this movie. It's the best movie I've ever seen. Do you have people tell you that? Or it's by far the best movie of the year or the best movie of the last uh, couple of years. It's the funniest, it's the most suspenseful. And then I go to this movie and guess what? I'm disappointed. Why am I disappointed? Because my expectations were up here. Not because the movie was bad, but because my expectations got ratcheted way up. I have learned I got to be really careful that going into movies. Now, the same thing is true in marriage. The same thing is true in parenting. The same thing is true in the marketplace. The same thing is true in the church. The same thing is true in life. But it's especially true in walking with God. 
because you can live right, you can be right, and things can stay long, wrong for a long time. And our expectations become as big a problem as the problem itself. So God has given us Psalm 88 so we can clarify expectations about what it means to walk with God, what life can sometimes be like for us, for other people. I, I mean, if, if you go in to following Jesus thinking, okay, man, I've signed up for this thing and, and, and now I, I believe in God and I love Jesus and, and I have been forgiven and I even have the Bible on my iPhone. And you sort of unconsciously assume, oh, okay, that means everything's going to always be good. Man, when trouble hits, you're going to be in trouble. Your expectations are unrealistic. Immature, unrealistic expectations, I'll say it again, are as big a problem as the problem itself. God has given us Psalm 88 to clarify these expectations about our walk with God. There will be crises in life, family crises, financial crises, health crises, relationship things. Uh, there will be trouble. There will be rainy days, and sometimes the rainy days will last for a long time. But it never, never means the sun has ceased to exist. The sun is there. We just don't see it. So number three, point number three, uh, trouble. Uh, now, and I'm going to kind of switch the tone here. Trouble is the best place to learn grace. Uh, trouble is, is the best place to learn about God. If you go back to verses 10, 11, and 12, Heman is cross-examining God. I mean, you talk about audacity. He, he's uh, got dotted, God in the dock, to quote Lewis, and he's functioning as a prosecuting attorney. And so he asked God these four questions, verses 10, 11, and 12, in the Hebrew, each of them demands a negative answer. Can you show your wonders in the grave? Negative answer. No. And what he's doing is he's saying uh, the impossibility of his situation completely and totally negates his ability to honor God, to praise God, to glorify God. What he's saying is, is God, because of what you're, you're taking me through, uh, I, I want to praise you, but I'm getting plumbled and I can't. And God, it's your fault. Now, Heman, the author of the psalm, is mad. He is hurt. He is fuming. He feels rejected. He feels abandoned by God. He's being reactive. Now, do you see what this means? The very presence of this psalm in, in the Bible, this dark psalm, this is the darkest of all the psalms. The very presence of this psalm in the Bible is grace. Because God knows, and this is um, certainly part of what God is doing with Heman, God knows that when we're desperate, when things get difficult, we can get nasty, we can come unglued, and we begin to walk away from God. So by placing this psalm in the Bible, this very different, this very interesting psalm, for all the world to see, God is saying, angry or not, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what you do, I'm hanging in there with you. I am your God. It's a picture of grace. 
Uh, you can thank me or, or not, but I'm your God. And whether you put on a happy face or not, I, I'm your God. The very existence of this lament in the Bible demonstrates God's patience, God's compassion for his people, uh, God's mercy, God, God's grace. Uh, God is saying, in, in effect, this is okay. I can handle this. I can handle you. You see, nowhere do we see God's grace more vividly than in trouble and our broken responses to it. Because God doesn't cast us off. God draws us to himself. Number four, trouble is a divinely appointed way to make you great. To make you great spiritually. In the book of Job, right at the beginning, Job chapter 1, Satan comes to God, taunts God, cross-examines God, and says to him, does, God, does Job rather fear God for nothing? Satan is saying, look at Job. Look at his wealth. Look at his success. Look at his prosperity. Uh, look at his family. Uh, look at his success. Uh, the only reason uh, Job is following you, fears you, serves you, is because of how wealthy you have made him. Now Satan is thinking about us. And he's saying to God, humans only serve you because what they can get from you. Because of what they can get. They don't really love you. Man, they love their stuff. Uh, they love doing what they want to do. And so they give you lip service to get to that stuff. In other words, Satan in Job chapter 1 is saying humans are thoroughly narcissistic, totally self-absorbed. And then he adds, I can prove it. Satan says, I can prove it. And so he turns to God and says, take away all Job's stuff and he'll curse you. I dare you. Now, by the way, Satan is basically right. We are totally self-absorbed people. And it's why it's clearly evident uh, when we run into trouble, and man, we bail on God. We run from God. We, we turn our back on God. Or it's why what we see more recently when we run into trouble and, and we can't quite get out of it, somebody will say something like, well, somebody along the way is not believing God enough. Like it's all our deal. Well, God has given us the book of Job. The very first, you can argue, the very first book written in the Bible, the, the book of Job, all about suffering, all about a godly man who suffered to show us that's just not true. But what I want you to understand is something happened to Heman. Heman was different. Heman is hanging in there with God. He's continuing to acknowledge the sovereignty of God in his life in the, in the midst of this crisis, this ongoing crisis. He's continuing to pray. He's continuing to walk with God. He's continuing to believe. So like Job, Heman here is proving Satan wrong. Heman is fearing God, serving God for nothing. So the question Psalm 88 
ask is the same question the book of Job asked earlier. And it's a question, are you seeking God for what you can get from God? Or will you serve God? Will you walk with God? Will you obey God? Will you love God no matter what? And if you can do that, like Heman, like Job, you will defeat Satan. And you will become great, a great man, a great woman spiritually. Because you're not in it for what you can get. You're in it because of who God is. All right, some descriptors about what this teaches us trouble is. Now let me move to three things this teaches us about how we should respond to trouble. Number one, I want to be back up and kind of look at the big picture. What I see is that we've got to walk by faith, not by sight. We must walk by faith, not by sight. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. That's 2 Corinthians 418. So in other words, Psalm 88 illustrates those two passages in 2 Corinthians. Now how? Well, let me unpack this for a moment. You see, there's a big difference between feeling abandoned by God and being abandoned by God. Heman felt abandoned by God, but he wasn't abandoned by God. That's impossible. To this end, in the heat of the Reformation, Martin Luther wrote a poem that, that I just love. He said, feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. Now, let's take this a step further. Let me go just a little deeper. The Old Testament tells us this guy, Heman, the author of this psalm, was a seer, S-E-E-R, a wise man, one of the wise men of Israel. But more than that, more importantly for our purposes, he was an incredible musician, a, a songwriter, wrote this psalm, this song, a, a, a musical director, he was, if you notice in the title, he was one of the, the sons of Korah. He was a Korite. Part of a musical guild that David had appointed to lead the nation at its pinnacle in worship. And the, the sons of Korah have produced a number of psalms in the Psalter, 42 through 49. 84 and 85, I think, and then 87, and, and, and this psalm. Now, Heman would have probably contributed to a number of those, to, to most of those. Maybe he wrote all of them. We don't know. But what this means is that while it appeared to Heman that God had abandoned him, turned his back on him, and was rejecting him, the reality was that God was working behind the scenes to use his experience of darkness, his experience of adversity, to produce some of the greatest worship in the world. Psalms that would impact millions of people down through history. Heman was wrong. He got it wrong. God wasn't rejecting him. God was deepening him. 
So when I think about Psalm 88 and what it means to respond to trouble, the first thing we've got to say is it means we walk by faith, not by sight, because we never know what our God is up to. We never know what God is doing. But we do know he is loving, and we do know what he is doing will ultimately lead to good in his glory. Point number two, we stick with God. Even when we feel abandoned by God. We, we stick with God even when we feel abandoned by God because faith sticks with God. Faith doesn't quit. Faith doesn't stop. Faith doesn't panic. Faith doesn't give up. Now, does God answer prayer? Yes. We saw that in Psalm 30. We see that over and over in the Bible. Jesus says, uh, seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Ask and it shall be given. So God delights to answer prayer. Does God heal miraculously? You bet. Does God bless us uh, materially, abundantly? Yes, especially in this culture. Uh, Sometimes incredibly so. But faith isn't prosperity. Faith is perseverance. It's a long obedience in the same direction, to quote Jim Peterson. It's sticking with God, even if you feel that God isn't sticking with you. Faith sets no limits on God's power, and it places no demands on God's will, and it lives with the tension. No limits, no demands. Now, as others point out, Heman, if you stop and think about it, is experiencing two different types of trouble. He's experiencing external trouble and internal trouble. External darkness and internal darkness. So when he says in verse 3, my soul is full of trouble, he's really describing both. Facing death, loss of friends, no peace on the inside, no, no joy, no sense of God's presence. Heman uses the word darkness three times in this psalm. My life is dark. My life is dark. Now, here's the point. If you are experiencing external trouble, but you have inner peace, internal peace, you can handle it. You can navigate that. But if you're experiencing external trouble and you have internal trouble, you have no peace, you have no sense of God's presence, well, that is really, really hard to handle. And that's exactly what Heman was experiencing. This dual darkness. And what does he do? He sticks with God. God, I'm mad at you, but I'm not leaving. God, I've got a bunch of questions, and and, and God, my life is terrible. But where am I going to go? I'm going to stick with you. And it's just exactly what we see Job and Joseph and Jeremiah and Ruth and others throughout God's word do. Heman's incredible tenacity of faith 
is, by the way, why some suggest that this guy may be the author of the book of Job. Because of the parallels, the similarities. All right, let me go to my last point. There's a third way we uh, can deduce from this psalm we need to respond to, uh, in trouble. And that is that Psalm 88 teaches us to never stop praying. We never stop praying. We never, never cease praying. Really, Psalm 88 is one long prayer by a godly man whose heart is breaking. His heart is breaking. There's no joy, there's no peace, there's no sense of God's presence, all those things that I've mentioned, but boy, is there prayer. Now, that's crazy, I think. I think this is crazy amazing. Look at verses 13 and 14. If you write in your Bible and um, underline things, circle together verses 13 and 14, because in verse 13, he documents his commitment to pray. And in 14, he documents his struggle with the why question. Why, God, are you rejecting me? It's never unspiritual to ask why. Heman asks why. It's unspiritual to demand answers. Heman doesn't get any answers. But what I, I, I want you to avoid is I want you to avoid separating verse 14 from verse 13. And what I mean by that is faith never stops praying. It never stops praying in spite of the questions you might have, in spite of, in spite of how big the why question is. We pray not because of how we feel. We pray not because we have answers to our questions. We pray because God is God. And like Heman, we are resting in the, the sovereignty of God. Uh, so I love this psalm because the psalm is a crazy mix. I mean, it is crazy here. This crazy mix of conflict on the one hand and confidence in God on the other. Darkness on the one hand and conquering grace and greater light that Heman clings to on the other. Now you as a follower of Christ, uh, when you face trouble, what is your confidence? Well, the answer, according to the New Testament, is your confidence is way greater than anything Heman ever knew. Satan is right on the one hand. Uh, we don't serve God for nothing. You know, we serve God because we fear God because often what we can get, we're self-absorbed. But on the cross, Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins. Uh, to take away all our pride, all our self-centeredness, all our sin. And by the Spirit to make us like Christ. And so the good news of the gospel is if we receive Jesus as our Savior, we will never be abandoned by God because God abandoned his Son on the cross in our place for our sins. So our confidence is in Jesus, in trouble. Our confidence in the fact is somehow in the sovereign plan of God, God chose to abandon his son so that I would never be abandoned. Uh, uh, amazing. 
Now, you may feel abandoned depending on what you're going through. Uh, but you are never abandoned because, and I, and I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Because if Jesus didn't abandon you in his moment of greatest adversity, he will never abandon you in yours. If Jesus Christ went to the cross and chose not to abandon you in his moment of greatest adversity, he will never ever abandon you in yours. And that's our confidence. So we have a confidence that, that's Jesus-centered, that's cross-centered, that's gospel-centered, that Heman didn't even know. And it's that confidence that enables us to push through. And this is the gospel. This is grace. This is the one-way love of God revealed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you go back to verses 10, 11, and 12 again, these four questions uh, that in the Hebrew demand or in the original demand a, a negative answer, we can flip them in light of the cross and answer yes. What am I saying? Does God show his wonders in the grave? Yes, in Jesus Christ. Does God reveal his love and his faithfulness in the grave? Yes, in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ can't handle for you. Nothing. May God give us the grace to believe. Now let's pray. Father, as we come to you, as we come to this response time, as we give to you out of all that you have so generously give us, given to us, as we give to you that the work of Christ might be furthered here and around the world, we, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you for the privilege of being forgiven. We thank you for this opportunity now to worship. And we ask God that you would speak to us and you would bless us, and you would draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.